Day in 1982, the UK Musicians Union moved a resolution to ban drum rhythm machines from sessions and live concerts, fearing that their use would put musicians out of work. And I thought, hang on, if drum machines were banned from live concerts, you might not get to hearing some of the great tunes of our era, such as this Hall & Oates classic, which shows just how cool a drum machine can be. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Wallace, no. Just, just no. I mean, this, this is some of the blandest, dreariest music I've ever heard. Are you hearing it, the same song? Yeah, it, it, this, is, this, this is music for people who think that Phil Collins is a bit too edgy, isn't it? Julia, back me up on that. What a classic, right? The problem, Wallace, and I think people have kind of got it by now that I'm not in the studio, I, d- I can't hear it when you play the music, so I don't oh, know. You're, oh, you're on Zoom, that's right. Be, well, be grateful, Julia, be grateful. Okay, so... Was it that bad? Oh. Well, it usually is, Steve, it usually is bad. Wallace is no. not a good... Music to music. fall asleep to, seriously. No, my listeners will back me up on this. It's just such a classic. I can't go for that by Hall and Oates. Now, by the way, apparently the drum machine there is the old Roland CompuRhythm box, and it's the first preset you come to. It's called Rock and Roll One. So, so the, the, they didn't even try very hard, there, no, did they? Seriously. I give, you, I give you that. They could have you, tried better with you, the presets. You really are making my case for me here, Wallace. Seriously, mate. Um, I can tell you with absolute certainty that all of my extended family in the years will see guests off. That is who my generation learned it from. Additionally, I have had in my 15 years in Aotearoa experienced Kiwis who did not t- take the time to do so. So uh, generalisations, you folk. Well, I, I, I do have a correction to make, um, and I, I feel this needs to be to be made uh, loud and clear. Um, during the break, during the news there, uh, my wife Debbie messaged me, and, and she's as American as they come, and she, she has pointed out that she always says goodbye on the phone. And she's absolutely right. She does. Most Americans do. Um, and I think that I should stand corrected. Thank you very much for your feedback on this, Wallace. I think you should do a poll from uh, on this particular issue. There's been so... <laughs> So much response on that um, issue clearly touched a nerve there, whether to say goodbye or not. But to this, this afternoon, on the panel with Julia Hartley-Moore and Steve McCabe. And a quick warning for our listeners, our next topic touches on mental health and suicide, maybe triggering for some. Depression is a real and consistent issue amongst our tradies. In fact, on average, 54 trades and construction workers take their own life each year tradies, rather, along with 23 farm workers. This week, a widow who lost her construction worker husband in November spoke to stuff about his experience. We thought this would be a good chance to check in with Mates in Construction, an organisation created to tackle this very issue. And with us is Raman Lee, the training and delivery lead for Mates in Construction. Kia ora, Raman. Good afternoon. Firstly, Tell us more about the organisation. What is Mates in Construction's goal? What work are you doing currently? Um, well, we were established in 2019 in New Zealand um, as an independent um, independent branch of an Australian organisation, um, Mates in Construction, who had done a lot of really good work in the Australian construction industry. And the New Zealand construction industry got together and said, well, um, the New Zealand scene really needs mates. So... Um, um, Mates was formed, and uh, we're we're growing, um, and we uh, we've just opened offices in Christchurch, Dunedin, um, Wellington, um, and we're just um, opening an office also in Tauranga, Hamilton. 
So, yeah, we're doing a lot of work on construction sites, getting out there, boots on the ground, meeting the peeps and providing the support where we can. And uh, needless to say, much needed support. I guess just um, just straight up, uh, Raman, um, the statistic was pretty shocking, quite confronting, that uh, 54 tradies took their life every year. Can I ask you, why is this such an issue in the construction industry. Construction workers more than two times more likely than the rest of New Zealand workforce to die by suicide. It's, it is a massive issue, like you said, and, and the statistic that got me to put my builder's belt down and, uh, and join mates was the fact that um, we are six times more likely now, um, statistically, to lose someone uh, from the building industry, the construction industry, to suicide than we are to lose them to a workplace accident. Um, so that puts it in perspective um, as far as a health and safety issue on site. Um, why? It's, it's a huge problem. It's predominantly demographic. Um, suicides are three, three quarters, approximately, are males, and we are 97% male on site. Um, take teaching and nursing, for example. Each e- equally as stressful uh, jobs, but they are female-dominated, um, and so we just don't have the high suicide rates there. Um, so, you know, we all go through life events, we all go through relationship dramas and grief and finance problems and conflict and work problems and that sort of thing, but when we interview construction workers, um, they come up with a, a, an additional list of stresses. Yeah. Really long working hours, uh, a culture of, you know, not being that cool to discuss your problems with mates on site, mm. uh, a lot of alcohol and drug use, um, predominantly a male-dominated industry. Um, these are history of bullying behaviours and, and yeah. quite a sort of a, a bit of a toxic male culture at, at times. Um, you know, stoic male behaviours, um, lack of job security, financial pressures. So there are plenty of uh, stresses unique to our industry. But I'm not here to bag the industry. It's really yeah. important that we understand that only 32% of our suicides in the industry can be uh, attributed to workplace pressures. So that means for 68% of our suicides, it's nothing to do with work. Um, uh, but perhaps at a, those additional stresses at work that perhaps, you know, were the straw that broke the camel's back on that particular It's just day. mindful to know about, eh, Raman? Uh, stay there. Let's um, bring in our panellists. We'll come back to you, Steve. Yeah, I mean... The- this this is absolutely horrible, and and as I was listening to you talk there, Raman, I was I was I was ticking off all the ideas that have been coming into my mind as I first read about this. Um, a very blokey culture. Um, people are you know like life is hard these days. People are an awful lot of pressure, and and if you're in an environment all your working day where you can't talk about it, talking about it is seen as a sign of weakness, and you're being soft and all all kinds of other adjectives. That I'm not even going to bother repeating. How how do you let go of any of that stress? It, it you know I'm I'm very fortunate. I work in an environment where you know people are supportive of each other. If if you find yourself in an environment which is not supportive, what do you do? Well, at the heart of our education programs is the psych uh, community. So we are looking to raise awareness on site about right. uh, answers to that question, um, like through our toolbox talks, our our trainings, um, our field officer visits. Um, our fact sheets, our posters, our stickers, everything. We're just trying to uh, raise awareness of the, of the fact that it's actually okay not to be okay. Right. Um, we're, we're all going to um, struggle at mm. times. We're, we're all going to be lost at times. It's the nature of life. It's the yin and the yang of, of life. 
But at those times when we are struggling, um, you know, it, it's okay to reach out to your mates. And the wonderful thing about the construction industry is such camaraderie is built on site. Uh, they, you know, workers really become part of a whānau and their company and on site. And we're looking to use that, uh, that, that brotherhood, that sisterhood, that sense of whānau too, um, you know, to spread the word that, um, you know, it's okay to put your hand up for help. Um, and it's okay to sit a mate down and say, listen, bro, you know, you, you look a bit rough today. Um, you know, some of the troops are worried about you. And do you want to have a chat? What's going on with you? So we're, we're trying to um, raise awareness uh, that it's okay to have that conversation. It's okay to reach out for help. Um, and there are plenty of avenues for help. There's uh, employee assistance programs. Um, managers are, are really on to it now. Mental health is really a thing now on the work site. It's acknowledged. Um, and what I like to say um, to my workers um, in the education programs that we deliver is that you know, when you come to, to work for this company, this is a company who has uh, partnered with mates. You know, you don't just get a pay packet. You, you become part of a whānau and you, you lock in and you engage with a support network. Um, and that they won't see you as a liability if you put your hand up with a mental health issue. They will see you as um, an opportunity and a responsibility uh, to, to get you some help. So I think things are changing. Okay, Julia. Look, I, couldn't, I think it's a marvellous idea and I think it's something that so needs to be done um, that men, because typically men haven't been, it's men don't share their feelings. It's, it's just been a thing that guys are stoic, you know, they're the strong ones, they, they, they don't dissolve into tears like women can and, and, and overshare. But it's interesting with what I did, and I was only just talking to a chap today, that was really embarrassed about calling me, really difficult to talk to. But as I slowly drew him out and asked him questions, I mean, the floodgates opened and it was his relationship. And it's these guys are having, it's not just work and financial, it's, often it can be relationship problems and they don't know how to talk about them. So I think it's brilliant that, you know, you're doing this, that, that mates is, is there for these guys because they well, need it. Roman, thanks for being on the program to highlight the issue. I appreciate it. No problem. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk about mates and the work that we're doing. Very cool indeed. Yeah, it's a training and delivery lead for mates in construction. Raman Lee, there sounds like they're an organisation that uh, are only growing. It is 15 to 5, the panel RNZ National. Now, interesting item is stuff that follows just where our donated unwanted clothes go. It so happens that we export thousands of tonnes to Papua New Guinea. Five and a half thousand tonnes last year, much of it in very poor condition, where locals buy our clothes by the bale and then on sale. But I've always wanted to know, when you donate some pre-loved clothes into one of those roadside clothes bins, what happens to them? How do they get sorted? With us is Robin Casey, General Manager of St. Vincent de Paul. They've got more than 60 shops and centres around Aotearoa. Robin, kia ora. Good, good afternoon. First thing I thought of uh, when I see those uh, roadside bins is that what does happen at the other end, and I must say it must be quite an ordeal sorting the clothes from those bins. I can imagine you'd get all manner of things. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we we have about 14 bins in Christchurch, and we clear those twice a week. 
and we bring them into our sorting area and they're opened up and we go through every item individually Um, and we assess all the items, mostly clothing from those bins, and we assess all those items for marks, stains, rips, um, are they good quality to sell or to give away for... um, to help those that haven't got clothes and every item is checked. Some items are washed. Um, we get quite a bit of bedding in there and we wash it and we then either provide it in our welfare system or put it on the floor for sale. Um, any proceeds that we earn are put back into our food bank or to help people in some way like power bills, etc. Do you find the clothespins a good vehicle to receive clothing? Is it a is it a valued part of the, um, uh, I guess the the Saint Vincent de Paul process? Yes, it is a big part, and it's um, it's been a growing part after COVID when everybody cleaned oh. their wardrobes out. It, it's been huge, um, and it's been. There's some beautiful items that come through. Some lovely, oh, real? pre-loved items. Yes, there is. Wonderful. Um, sometimes you get um, stuff that isn't so good and, you know, there's a bit of rubbish that goes in and if it's not too bad, it doesn't contaminate or, you know, if it contaminates the whole bin, we have to throw it out. But oh. on the whole, we're very, very fortunate with what people donate and uh, we're lucky. Really? Well, that's really good to hear, actually, Steve, because I uh, I thought there'd be, uh, from, from the little I've seen, there can be a bit of contamination in there, but it's uh, Robin here saying that overall it's uh, quite a good model, so keep on doing well, it. Well, it. it is a good model, and, I mean, occasionally we've had the odd car tyre and lawnmower motor and uh, bottles and a bit of rubbish thrown in, household rubbish, a bit of nappies, but on the whole, that's the smallest bit. But we, when, of course, we get stuff, well, it can be a bit of a problem. Steve? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to ask yourself, why Why are you donating this stuff? Are, are you doing it because oh, I just can't be bothered doing anything else with it? Or are you actually trying to benefit other people? Yeah. You know, by all means, donate. Question your motives as you do so. Having said that, that's good advice for life in general, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robin, stay there. It's um, Julia. Well, Julia. I tend to, I tend to give a lot of my things away. Um, to people I know. And uh, my girls are great receivers of some of their mother's clothes, you believe it or not. So, um, but, you know, the trouble is now, a lot of these clothes, these clothes, this this whole, you know, shopping online, this fast fashion, you've got a ton of clothes that's made from synthetic fabrics. And a lot of this stuff is actually dumped in the dump as well. And that that doesn't break down. Well, that is true, isn't it, uh, Robin? And that's one of the issues. Uh, I mean, the textile waste, uh, the, the, the sector has enormous levels of landfill. Yes, look, yes it is. And it, it's been growing. We, when we grade our clothes, there's you know a couple of different grades. One is it can go to the shop to be sold. Um, we have clients that need clothes. They can come in and choose from the shop. Um, and that's through our welfare program. But the other items that we can't sell, um, there's two categories. One, it goes into what we call seconds, and the other part goes into some of it is landfill, and, and that's a small proportion. Uh, we work with a couple of agencies to try and recycle every little bit we can. We have buttons coming off, zips coming out, cutting up clothes that are no good for anyone into rags which we sell to companies for, you know, like oh, yes. cleaning. 
And then for some of it, we on sell or give to various parties that may export um, it overseas. And, and that's only one supplier from our local point of view, and he is an outlet for that to go to in his own country. And But that is a very, very small number of bales that they okay. take but most of it hits that seconds and they do it on Trade Me or oh, yes. whatever they might do. Now, finally, Robin, while you are here, I've just mm. got, this is a personal note, uh, I've got a word of thanks for you because, and I'll tell you why, because I bought a jersey. It looks like uh, it looks like a Christmas jersey. It's a jumper. I wear it all the time. I bought a jersey at St. Vincent de Paul, Dunedin, in 1996 for $5. Mm-hmm. It's been my companion all that time, and I just threw it out yesterday, and I went to Smith & Coe, and I bought a brand new one. So I'd like to say thank you for the long shelf life of my $5 jumper. Very good. I'm pleased to hear it. Why did you finally throw it out? It was time. Oh, fair enough. Near oh, 30 fair, years. Fair enough. Near 30 years, Robin. That's, I, felt wow. good ab- I felt good about that. Look, uh, look, we we appreciate. I'm really quite happy. You've had a great jumper from Vinnie's. Um, we appreciate we appreciate everything our um, people do for us in donating these good items yep. that you've obviously enjoyed. So you know, a big thank you. Um, to just so you you know, most of our items in Christchurch are about three dollars an item. So it oh, is really wow. affordable stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, gosh. Um, we do have some price. You know, some of the boutique clothes with labels that are a little bit dearer, but on the whole. They're well priced. Most of our clothing items go for three dollars an item. Good to know. Final uh, thoughts before we move on. Just a quick, Steve. Quick thought then: if if you paid a fiver for this back in '97, was were you grossly overcharged? It must have. <laughs> we, <laughs> won't talk, like we won't talk. About, we won't talk about. We won't. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. That does sound quite a lot, doesn't it? All right, Robin. Kia ora. Thanks for that. Thank you. That's Robin Bye. Casey, general manager. They saw you coming. Wallace. Yeah, they saw me coming, but gosh, it was a good jumper. So warm. You know, it got me through all those Dunedin winters. Thank you, little Jersey. Finally, a group of residents in Golden Bay is in a stoush with the council over, you guessed it, car parks. Poor Harder store owner Dave Hicks says he is fed up with the lack of consultation over the installation of a shared cycle path. He says eight generous car parks outside his store will be replaced with just four parallel ones. Other businesses and residents have also vented their concerns. So we thought we'd get in touch with the councillor there, Chris Hill, the Tasman District Council, Golden Bay Ward Councillor. Kia ora, Chris. Kia ora, Wallace. Did the council properly consult the good residents of uh, Golden Bay? Um, I think this part of the cycleway was a part of the um, active transport strategy for council and there's a consultation process there. And, um, you know, some funding came available through the government, actually, through Three Waters funding and Waka Kotahi to be able to complete this part. So um, it was already on the cards that, you know, should we be able to, that it would, that it would be uh, developed. Um, I, think that, I think with Dave at the shop, I think our initial contact with Dave wasn't uh, the best in terms of process, but there's certainly been quite a bit of staff contact uh, and, you know, adjustment of the of the um, pathway outside the shop okay. in, in response to his concerns. It's yeah. the ongoing issue, isn't it, Steve McKay, that notion of um, a cycleway comes through the um, residential area or outside a dairy and then uh, 
issues arise or concerns arise or oh yeah. Ch- change is always challenging obviously i'm i'm wondering is is the problem here the fact that we converted to parallel parking is that is that the concern is this because like nobody can do it and so no one's going to park outside the shop oh is that to me um i don't know i think our parallel parking here in golden bay is probably pretty flash but oh well, there you um, go then no I, I think that the parking has been very convenient in terms of eight perpendicular parks just pull straight in go and get your hokey pokey ice cream or your pineapple lumps and then shoot off again so it is a it is an adjustment um there are going to be five parks parallel and five very nearby and some across the road so um it's not quite that it's been halved but uh, certainly um you know when things change here there are always those who are pretty excited about it being able to cycle right from Tartika through to Pohara Valley and those that aren't so supportive I guess of of active transport sort of um, shared pathways. It's, it's a, Julia, it's a issue that plays out across the country, city by city, town by town, right? Yes, yes it does. It does indeed. And But here's the thing. There's five, I think there's 520 residents there. Sh- shouldn't they have taken a vote? After all, isn't this a convenience store and isn't that the whole deal? It's convenient and you can just pull in and park and more than one person can do that. I just think, look, I'm a cyclist, have a cycleway, but is there anywhere else it could have gone? Could it have gone somewhere else? I don't know, but maybe, I just think... Um, maybe, you can you park, know, maybe you can park across the road. There's certainly parking outside the store still, directly outside it. The, the cycle path will go between the store and those five parks, and then you, you can walk across the driveway and there are five more parks, parks across the road. So it's not like... There isn't parking. It will be an adjustment for those of us that have been popping in there for years. Um, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that, um, you know, there's not still convenient parking. I mean, I, I, you know, Dave's concerns about loss, loss of business are genuine for him. It's such a, a fantastic store and business, and I just can't see that happening. And, you know, I think RNZ has some had an item on a few weeks ago about um, the uptake that businesses were experiencing actually as paths went by them. So, you know, it is a, we're in mode shift in New Zealand in a way, and um, this is inevitable, I think. Mm. Playing out across the country, Steve? Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, it raises the issue of do, do businesses uh, located on, on high streets in towns have a right to publicly provided parking spaces in front of their, their premises? Many of them do have that, but but it, is that a luxury that, that they just happen to have? It's not part of their lease or their, their purchase agreements, I'm sure. Is it is it an entitlement? I mean, obviously, it's going to hurt his business a little bit, but, you know, he's been lucky all these years to have had that, surely. Uh, that's to me, Wallace. Um, yeah, to any, anyone think, will take it. Yeah, I think the um, – I don't think there's a uh, – there's a lease. the lease doesn't cover that part of the – I guess it'll be road reserve. Yeah. So they've been there and been used for you know generations actually. So it is quite a it is quite a um, you know it's a small shift in terms of um, the arrangement I suppose of parking. Well, it's I good. Know that, you know I think people. I mean we'll just we'll, we will get used to it, and I really hope Dave's wrong because you know they're great people running a fantastic business there, and I just they're sort of integral to that part of the bay. And good um, to have you on the program, Chris. That's us today. Someone says. 
cyclists will stop now and have an ice cream. Anyway, Julia Hartley-Moore, Steve McCabe, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. I hope you get to walk me to the dollars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Uh, Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. I'll see you tomorrow, 3.45.